Well, good morning. What a privilege it is to be able to share with you this morning. I, I never take it for granted and, and always hold it dear that, uh, that I'm trusted enough in the ministry to share God's word with you this morning. So we're in a series, in part two of a series, looking at the character of God. And last week, uh, we looked at God's kindness. And today, we're going to consider God's love. And in this series, uh, we're examining how God's desire is he wants his character qualities to become our character qualities. And really, David talked about a little bit in the introduction video, the very purpose of the church, the reason that we're here is to reveal to a lost and confused and hurting world the character of God. And we do that by the way that we live our lives, by our actions, and by our words. And I believe this, really, I believe this deep down inside. If we could be As God's people, if we could be successful in demonstrating even the four key character qualities of God that we're looking at in this series, that he's kind, that he's loving, that he's gracious, and that he's faithful, I believe that we would see not only transformation in our own lives, but also a revival in our relationships, in our community, and across the world. We have an outline that we prepared this morning, and it begins with a question of why love, and, and then it has four points that we're going to look at to answer that question. But before we get to that, um, I think it's important to talk about the misconceptions and confusion about what love is. And since Valentine's Day is tomorrow, let's watch a short video of Jerry's, and if there's a Jerry here, this isn't about you, uh, of Jerry's... And I know there is because I talked to you in the bathroom. Uh, a short video of Jerry's misunderstanding of what love is. So let's watch that video. <laughs> so Valentine's Day is coming up. Uh, what are you getting your wife? Nothing. I don't think it works that way. Nothing? Nothing. 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 Diabolical. Yep, this year for Valentine's Day, I'm the present. Oh, can I please be here when you tell her that? Look, as if our wedding vows weren't enough. Through the years, I power washed the deck, I YouTubed how to build a walk-in closet, I even changed the toilet paper roll. Sometimes without even being asked. I took her to Graceland twice. But Graceland isn't a two-trip kind of place. And do you know where she has her weekly women's Bible study every Monday night? Do I want to know? Right over there, in front of my 70-inch crystal clear True Tone LED while I sit in the back room watching Monday Night Football on my kid's cracked iPad. You saint. So, this year, no presents, just presents. What'd you just say? I'm not getting her any presents. I'm giving her presents. So, let me get this straight. For Valentine's Day, you're not getting her any presents with a T. You're giving her your presents with, with, with a C. That's what I said. Presents, not presents. Diabolical. Hey, honey. Yeah? As you can imagine, Valentine's Day did not go well for Jerry this year. Don't be a Jerry. Make those you love feel special. Funny, but somewhat true about our misunderstandings of what love is all about. There's a a quote from C.S. Lewis that says this, love is not affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. 
You see, we all, all of us across the board, struggle with the same basic issue, and that issue is called self. It's called selfishness. And I believe that selfishness and pride are the primary attributes of the old nature. And even though we're a new creation in Christ Jesus, if we're in relationship with him, we can still default to selfishness when it comes to loving others. We can love based on feelings. We can love based on expectations of the response. We can love with strings attached. We can often love and oftentimes do with selfish motives. motives. And to illustrate that, a couple quick stories. A young man said to his father at breakfast one morning, Dad, I'm going to get married. How do you know you're ready to get married, asked the father. Are you in love? I sure am, said the son. How do you know you're in love, asked the father. Well, last night I was kissing my girlfriend goodnight. Her dog bit me and I didn't feel the pain until I got home. (laughs) A misunderstanding of love. And how about this one? Dearest Jimmy, No words could ever express the great unhappiness I felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you, I love you, I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. And congratulations on winning the state lottery. (laughs) So you can see how love can be misunderstood. I pulled a, a, a different... Scripture that really I wasn't sure at first why God put this one on my heart, but it make, hopefully it'll make sense to you. James chapter 1, verse 27 says this, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And when I looked at that verse, and I, I studied those words in that verse, pure and genuine religion, what that speaks of, we're kind of I, I grew up in the church with the idea that we're anti, we're not about religion, we're about relationship. But what James is talking about there is pure and genuine religion speaks of the outward demonstration of a relationship with God. That's what religion is supposed to be. And yeah, it's been twisted and, 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 and messed up in, in some ways, but it's a demonstration of our inward relationship with God. That's what pure and genuine uh, religion is. And what it speaks of, what that word can translate, is pure and genuine worship. Well, how do we worship God in a pure and genuine way? We worship him by loving him, a love response back to him in response to his love for us. And that love is not to be tainted or influenced by worldly ideas and deception. It's a love that's not based on feelings. It has no expectation of a response. It has no strings attached. It's with pure and genuine motive. It's a decision of the will to live or to love like God loves us. And I've, I've seriously, any time I, I prepare for a Sunday morning teaching, I, I, of course, God brings all the things in my life to test and to do some little test subjects on how, do I, how am I doing with this particular subject. I've really examined and really come to a discovery of how hard it is to love with pure motives. How hard it is to not love and expect something in return or a response in return. And I think this James passage touches on that of of a widow and an orphan have nothing to give back. There's no strings attached. They're, They're without the ability to do anything to pay you back. 
for your love. So moving on, uh, the question again, why love? And we see the first point, the first response to the question, why love, on your outline is that we have the command. We have the command to love. And if you've spent any time in God's word, uh, you're more likely familiar with what Jesus calls the great commandment. In Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, it says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And it's not that second commandment to love your neighbor as yourself is not second in importance, but it's, and, and it's of equal importance in that, in that scripture. And so uh, we see the New Testament is saturated with Jesus's commands on loving him and loving others by our actions and by our words, driven by pure and genuine motives. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, speaking of that kind of love. In John 13, 34, I think we have that scripture on the screen. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Those were all Jesus' words. And in case you haven't connected the dot, he goes on to say in John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will manifest myself to him. So we, it's clear in Scripture that we're being commanded to love like God loves, not just when we feel like it, not just when we're in the mood or when the other person is being nice to us. It's re- I'll speak for myself. It's really easy, easy for me to, to love my wife when she's being really nice to me. It's really easy to love you guys when you're being nice to me. Not so much the other way around, okay? So, so it's, it's, uh, uh, we want to love expecting something in return return. And yet what we find is that it's instead a decision of the will. It's a non-emotion-based decision to walk in obedience to God's commandment, okay? If we think about, here's probably in my mind, and this might be a little bit foreign for you to, to jump here, but if I think of what was the greatest physical demonstration of love, certainly we could say the cross, but if we go back a little bit before the cross to the garden, And we see Christ, fully man, fully God, in the garden. That was love when he said, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. Loving the Father, submitting his own will unto the will of God. Now, I don't think that was feelings-based. One of the interpretations said he was sweating like drops of blood. He was, it was a very non-feeling-based decision a submission of his will to the will of the Father. So we have the command to love. The second point on your outline is we have the capacity. We have the capacity to love, not just the command, but we have the capacity to love. And here's something that's very important to remember. God never commands us to do something that he doesn't also give us the capacity to carry out. He never, never commands us to do something that he doesn't give us also the capacity to carry out. He equips us, he enables us, but he leaves the decision up to us to do so. 
It's our choice whether we want to do that. And he also clearly lays out to us uh, the blessing of walking or living or applying those truths, uh, applying that enabling that he has given to us. And he also lays out the consequences of choosing to, to not, to disobey those commandments to love. Okay? Second Peter uh, uh, describes this. And interestingly enough, I just thought about this this morning. All of the, the scripture I have this morning is not only from Jesus, but from Peter, John, and James, who I think understood those, those three in the inner circle who understood best Christ's love demonstrated. Okay? So it says this in 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. By his divine power, and if you guys have ever listened to me teach, this is one of my favorite scriptures, and because it makes us without excuse. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. It would be very easy to stick the word you to share his divine character and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires, okay? So we've been enabled. And we could spend weeks just talking about those two verses, but here's the key points in, in those verses out of Peter. First, in coming to know him, which is our, talking about our salvation, not just knowing intellectually, but having a relationship with him. Because we've come to know him, he has fully equipped us for all things to live a godly life. And if you have your Bibles open or your outlines open, underline all, because the last time I looked up the definition of all, it meant all, okay? So he's given us all things that pertain to godly life. Second, he's given us great and precious, great and precious promises that enable us, okay, to share his nature or his character, that's the second thing. The third thing, because of our position as his child, through his promises, we, we have the ability to escape the world's corruption, i.e. selfishness and pride, so that we can exhibit God's character in a pure and genuine God-honoring way. So Peter's saying you've received the capacity to sincerely love and demonstrate God's character at a time, at the time, that you stepped into relationship with him. So salvation then became the moment in time, uh, the great miraculous event wherein we were given the capacity to love with a genuine love, okay? And here's the key about this. Uh, this supernatural kind of love that loves by an act of the will in response to a command is a love that is uniquely the possession of believers, it's the outward demonstration of a life that's been transformed. It's the fruit of our salvation. So we have the capacity to love. The third point on your outline as to why love is it's the correct response to his love for us. And I was going to put only correct response to his love for us, but there, you can choose what you want, but it is the right and proper response to his love for us for us. And again, we're going to look at what Peter had to say um, in 1 Peter in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. <clears throat> that tells us you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. 
Love each other deeply with all your heart. Some translations say fervently. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. If we comprehend, if we can comprehend what God has done for us, then surely, and I'm not just talking about surely, I'm talking about all of us, surely out of gratitude, out of a response of gratitude, we will strive to live lives that are worthy of such great love in which he loved us. We'll strive for holiness. We'll strive for that pure and genuine love that God desires. Not to make God love us more. We can't do anything to make him love us more, but because he already does love us. And so this response of gratitude, I believe, springs forth from an understanding of not just who God is and how great God is and what great love he demonstrated towards us uh, in the gift that we have in Christ Jesus and him crucified, but it also springs forth from understanding of who we are, who we are, and how ill-deserving we were of that love, how we didn't merit that love. We could do nothing to deserve that love, and yet he rescued us. We were, you know, the scripture about cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. That's how far we were from him, separated from him in our sin. And he's removed that and drawn us back to himself. How ugly our sin was to a holy God. And yet he loved us and sent his son to die for us. A grateful heart opens the door for us to choose to exercise a decision of the will to demonstrate God's character. So we see that God's given us the command. He's given us the capacity. And it's the only correct response to who he is and what he's done for us. Here's the but, okay? But living and applying those glorious truths are never, ever, ever without our decision and our desire to commit our will towards that path. It's never apart from that. He will never force us to do that. If he did, it would not be God's love. Okay? So I'm going to read that one more time. But living and applying these glorious truths are never without our decision and desire to commit our will towards that path. You can't command emotional love, and God doesn't. You can't command feelings, and God doesn't. Uh, But he does desire an act of the will to love him and to love others unselfishly with motives that are honoring to him. The final point on your outline of why love is number four, it's the demonstration to the world of God's love in us. It's the demonstration to the world of God's love in us. Jesus puts it this way in the Gospel of John chapter 13. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Proof to the world, our love for one another. Jesus also said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. We see Paul in Romans chapter 12 say, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And John again brings it up in in 1 John in chapter 3 where he says, uh, this is the message which you have heard from the beginning... This is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love 
one another. And so with those statements, you might be wondering how these commandments of Jesus fit together with the greatest commandment to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself. Well, here it is. And here, I believe, is one of the, the, the key purposes of the church. If we, as, God peop- as God's people, love each other like God has called us to love each other, we will win the world because guess what? The world is dying to be part of an association of people who love each other. It's supernatural, and, and people are drawn to that supernatural love it's because it's contrary to the natural man. I admit it's contrary to me when I'm walking in the flesh. I can't love correctly. When I love like Christ loves, it's attractive. People see Jesus in me, hopefully. Uh, it tells, I believe, in Corinthians that when we do that, it's attractive. It's a Christ-like fragrance. Okay? People are drawn to that. And I believe, too, that we have the, the church today. I'm not pointing fingers at Verde Valley Christian Church, but we're part of the church uh, Christ body uh, you know, uh, across the world. And I think that we have trivialized many of the, the great biblical truths in one way or another, especially in Western uh, Christian culture. And if you ask most people what loving one another is all about, I think most people are going to talk about sentiment. They're going to talk about feelings. Uh, they're going to talk about emotions. Or they're going to trivi- trivialize it down to a point where they will perceive Christian love as something very, very, very minimal and really not that different than, than any other kind of love. So if I ask you the question today, how have you shown Christian love what would you say? Have you shown Christian love today? What would you say? And I'm not here this morning. I'm here this morning to lay a guilt trip on myself because that's what this study has done to me. Okay? I don't want to lay a guilt trip on you, but I, I think we need to examine how we love and look at how we love. We need to look at who has real need. Uh, greater love have no man than this than lay down his life for his friends. If you see a brother in need and you close up your compassion, how are you loving like God? We're talking about real need. When was the last time you reached out to a widow, a real widow in need? When was the last time you helped a struggling parent uh, raise children uh, in a fatherless home? When was the last time you ever thought about taking into our homes someone who doesn't have a place to stay? When was the last time you thought about maybe a foster child an orphan. When was the last time you went to a hospital to sit on the bedside of someone who was dying or to sit with a wife whose husband was losing his mind from a disease? Someone racked with pain, who, someone who was facing surgery, someone who was coming out of surgery. When was the last time you, you stopped and stooped down to spend time with somebody who was caught up in sin? Okay? And this is, one that, this is the one that, that pokes me the hardest. When was the last time, and this is, I'm going to ask myself this question, when was the last time, Doug, that you gave away your choice plans to spend a moment with someone who was lonely? Because that costs a lot. That costs myself and my pride and all those things. That's costly. I'm talking about a love that reaches down to where life is really lived. Not... Not the trivia of decorating our already happy little lives with nice feelings. 
That's not what love is all about. And we can trivialize love and we can kid ourselves that we have loved as Christ loved, but we really haven't in a lot of ways. And so how did Jesus love again? He said, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And how did he love us? He didn't love us in a trivial way. He didn't love us with mushy sentimentality. He did not love us by listening to our little pet peeves. Instead, he loved us in a profound way by meeting us at the point of our need. He loved us by showing mercy in our brokenness. He loved us by being there when no one else was. Another C.S. Lewis quote says this, Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. That speaks of making a decision of the will, a decision driven by the will, not a decision driven by emotions. There's a big game going on this afternoon, uh, but there's a bigger game going on in life, and this one has eternal consequences, and it's a battle for the hearts and souls of those who are apart from God's rescuing grace. And I need to tell you this, if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, you're a player in this game. You're part of that team. And the playbook is really clear on our love for God and the love that we're called to have for one another, the love that we're called to have for a hurting and lost world. And I believe with God's Spirit's help and leading that many souls who might be headed to an eternity separated from God could be rescued. And every single one of us has a part in that game. Every one of us has a position on God's eternal team. So we have the command. We have the capacity. It's the correct response to his love for us, and it's a demonstration to the world of God's love in us. I want to read a quick story here. You can see them alongside the shuffleboard courts in Florida or on the porches of the old folks' homes up north. An old man with snow-white hair, and I'm not talking about me, even though I'm an old man. An old man with snow-white hair, a little hard of hearing, maybe I am talking about me, reading the newspaper through magnifying glasses or trifocals like me. And this is not about my wife, this part. An old woman in a shapeless dress her knuckles gnarled by arthritis, wearing sandals to ease her aching arches. They are holding hands, and in a little while they will totter off to take a nap, and then she will cook supper, not a very good supper, and they will watch television, each knowing exactly what the other is thinking until it is time for bed. They may even have a good soul-stirring argument just to prove that they still really care. And through the night they will snore unabashedly, each resting content because the other is there. They are in love. They have always been in love, although sometimes... <laughs> I don't know why this choked me up. Although sometimes they have denied it. And because they've been in love, they have survived everything that life could throw at them, even their own failures. Sacrificial love has transforming power. Genuine love is volitional rather than emotional. The person who truly loves does so because of a decision to love. This person has made a commitment to be loving, whether or not 
the loving feeling is present. If it is, so much the better. But if it isn't, the commitment to love, the will to love still stands and is still exercised. Loving God is not a feeling by which we are overwhelmed. It's a committed, thoughtful decision of the will. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you um, that, uh, that you love us. And Father, we desire to love the way that you love. We don't want to be content with kidding ourselves about our feelings or our emotions. We want to be able to love you, Father, uh, realizing that the love that you've called us to can be painful and sacrificial, not self-indulgent, sometimes not fun. And yet, Lord, it's so deeply rewarding and so joyous. Lord, help us to love this way. We have the capacity and we have the command to use that capacity to the fullest. So, Father, maybe we be, may we be found faithful that as we love one another, the world will know that we belong to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.